Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Indians 5, the Minnesota Twins 3. The Indians walk it off in extra innings to take the first game of the 2021 season against the Minnesota Twins. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And what a game last night. What an absolutely terrific baseball game last night. Teams have leads. Team, teams made comebacks. We had extra inning magic. It had a little bit of everything last night in that baseball game. And, uh, man, it was it was a pretty good night for me, I got to say. So uh, went for a run last night. It was my first time exercising since I got my second COVID shot, which, uh, which you know if you listen to the show messed me up pretty bad for a day. And uh, it was worth it. And uh, yeah, it's just been it been a few days since I was able. It's been a week. It had been an actual eight days since I was able to get out and run. And I'm not believe me. I'm no cross country runner or anything like that. I'm a 5K kind of guy. But the last time I had run, I believe was right after Joey Votto turned the triple play against us in Cincinnati. I think I was listening to that in the car. Turned the car off. Went for the run. Came back. We lost that game. And then. Uh, yeah, last night. Last night, I uh, got down to Cuyahoga Valley National Park. We had Eddie Rosario on third, and uh, I think Vermeil Reyes was on first. We had runners at the corners, or maybe it was Josh Naylor was at first. We had runners at the corners, and uh, I listened to Roberto Perez strike out, and I said, all right, time to go for that run. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I didn't miss anything. I, I literally got back into the car to hear that sixth inning to hear that great sixth inning where the Indians start their comeback. So it's like the Indians were waiting for me to get back in the car and uh, to continue playing baseball. Not only that, not only did we have the walk-off, I'm just going to keep telling you about my life, about my night here. I think, you know, I'm going to let a little of my personality shine on my podcast, let you in a little bit to my world. Uh, one of the best things, one of the best feelings last night I cut into an avocado, a perfectly ripe avocado to make guac with, to make homemade guacamole with. Come on, tell me. You're squeezing the gua- those avocados at the grocery store. You never know what's going to be inside. You cut that thing open. You see those big brown splotches. You're like, damn it. Not this one last night. I'm telling you, this was like restaurant quality perfect guac. So yeah, it was a good night. It was a really good night all around. Um, oh, yeah, and Jordan Luplo hit a walk-off home run in the 10th inning. How about that? Off a right-handed pitcher, no less. I mean, you want to talk about magic. And I don't know what was going I don't. I don't know if they have a strange view from the press box when Luplo's hitting off a right-handed pitcher, but neither Hamilton or Underwood really seemed sure that that ball was gone. They both took them a second to get into their home run call. And Luplo knew from the crack of the bat it was gone. He he immediately knew it was gone. I think Colome knew it was gone too, the pitcher for Minnesota. I knew watching at home it was gone, but it definitely took Hamilton. It wasn't your classic Hamilton swung out and drive away back. Yes, I, I would do that much louder and a much better Hamilton impression if my wife wasn't sleeping right now. But yeah, neither of them went into their like real home run call until that ball was you know five rows up in the bleachers. 
So, uh, yeah, fun night. Fun night all around. Let's get into the storylines of the game, and we will get into this at-bat. We're actually going to break down three specific at-bats here that I think were really interesting. Remember, sometimes a storyline can last an entire game, like Eddie Rosario facing his old team, you know, Barrios going back and forth. First Rosario singles, then Barrios strikes him out. That's a storyline that lasts all games. Sometimes they last an entire series, like the Yankees and the Indians. Whichever team scored first was going to lose that game. By the way, Twins score first, and they lost the game. Not in the same fashion. They were able to score later in the game, you know, add on to it. But they did score first and lose the game. So the streak continues. It's now five games in a row, at least. I never went back and checked the White Sox game to see who scored first. Um and some storylines, so yeah, some storylines last entire series or entire weeks. Some storylines last a single at-bat. And I think uh, it didn't turn in anything, but the Andres Jimenez at-bat in the ninth inning definitely had a storyline within it. All right, so the first storyline, let's talk about that sixth inning comeback. Because, come on, this is where this game really gets going here. And uh, jumping over to the scoreboard on Baseball Savant. Let's dig into that sixth inning. So, Plesak was cruising. I mean, he Plesak had gotten in a little trouble. He gets in trouble in the fourth. He, uh, he gives up the solo home run in the second, which happens. He's still cruising, though. He gets into trouble in the fourth. Uh, gives up the single to Nelson Cruz on, on a really good play by Andres Jimenez, who stopped a ball going up the middle, spun and threw... Jimenez is going to make that play eventually, right? Like, he made the play. Cruz beat him by a half a step. Jimenez's defense is legit. Whatever happens with his bat, Jimenez's defense is legit. Alex Kirilov gets his first MLB hit in the regular season, I believe. I think they said he got a hit in the playoff series. Uh, he doubles, brings in Nelson Cruz to uh I take that back. Nelson Cruz goes to third and then comes in on a Jorge Polanco sack fly. So uh, another situation where Eddie Rosario, I think Eddie Rosario thinks he has a better arm than he does. We've seen Eddie Rosario try to throw some guys out. I don't know if we've seen him throw anyone out yet at the plate, but he sure throws like he's going to throw someone out at the plate. So yeah, so Plesak got himself into a little bit of trouble in the fourth, but other than that, had actually been pitching pretty good. Cruises through the fifth. Cruises through the sixth. The Indians are down 2 nothing. I get back in the car, and Cesar Hernandez decides to start the inning with a walk. Decides to be the leadoff hitter and get on base. By the way, other storyline, Francona finally changed the lineup. Cesar Hernandez was hitting leadoff. Finally, all month we've been asking for that. He moved Luplo down to 2, which is not what I expected. I expected Luplo to go down to like 5 or 6 to be in an RBI situation. I mean, did it work out any better that he leads off in extra innings? But I expected him to move down because that moves Jose Ramirez up. There's this whole theory that the third spot in the batting order is not really where you want to put your best hitter because how many situations have we seen Ramirez come up with two outs and nobody on base to start the game? That's how he starts the game. Two outs, nobody on base. That's how we started today. Hernandez grounded out, Luplo grounded out, Ramirez comes up, two out. Two men out, nobody on base. So there is a theory to moving Ramirez up, puts him in different situations. Uh, Yeah, we had got our leadoff guy on in the second, not in the third, not in the fourth. 
So in the fifth, we did. Naylor doubled. So we had been getting our leadoff guy on base uh, decently to start the game. And they couldn't bring Naylor in in the fifth inning. Uh, Roberto Perez had a pretty rough game. Roberto Perez had a pretty, yeah, he had some opportunities with guys on second, with guys on third, and couldn't do anything. So yeah, Roberto Perez had a pretty rough game. Cesar Hernandez walks to start the sixth. Getting the leadoff guy on is huge. Luplo grounds out. Uh, I believe, I actually want to say that was a fielder's choice. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, it was a ground out down the line, a, a little dribbler down the first base line. So Kirilov tags Luplo. Hernandez gets up to second. Jose Ramirez lines out. Uh, he was hitting the ball hard. It had a 410 expected batting average, so not huge. It was only a 72.2 mile per hour exit velocity. But then Eddie Rosario drops a double down the left field line. And this was fun to listen to Hamilton call this one because Arise, who's normally an infielder for the Twins, is playing left field. Buxton is hurt. He might be back soon. Um, A little nagging thing. So Arise is in left field. He takes a bad path on the ball to begin with. It's a great swing by Eddie Rosario. I believe he was down in the count, and he just fights one off the opposite way. Gets a pre- some pretty good wood on it. I mean, he hit it to the warning track in the corner in left field. So he got some good wood on it to go to the opposite field. And Arise takes a bad path on the ball to start. And then when he hits the warning track dirt, he pulls up like he's about to hit the wall. Even though he's, what, at the edge of the dirt, you're at least three, four steps from the wall still. And... And maybe it's just inexperience out there in the outfield, but he thought he was about to destroy himself into that outfield wall and pulls up, and the ball drops in the middle of the track for a double. Brings in the first one of the game. Hernandez comes in. Rosario's safe at second. So that's huge. Fermil Reyes then fights a ball off the other way. He takes, I believe it's a breaking ball outside, and hits it off the end of the bat and drops it into right field. Eddie Rosario, the one thing we can say We don't know about his arm, but his hustle. His hustle is absolutely there. He is very aggressive on the base paths. He comes all the way around from second to score the tying run. Does the new, it's got to be the patented Eddie Rosario slide where he looks like he's almost posing for the camera. He looks like he's like posing on a beach spread, you know, for a magazine. He, he comes in on his left hip. He puts the hand down to get the hand in on the plate. Doesn't worry about getting his foot to the plate. Goes for the hand to the plate so that he could slide wide of the tag. And he's just got a smile on his face while he's doing it. Uh, he just he looks like a kid having fun out there sliding into home plate. He looks like those kids that used to run the bases on Sunday mornings, right, when they used to let the little kids come down after the game. Uh, yeah, and that's awesome to see. So that's definitely the Eddie Rosario patented hand, you know, Touch the plate with your hand slide. And then, uh, yeah, so Fermil Reyes is able to deliver and bring in the game-tying run. So that was a huge inning, that sixth inning. And then, and then, what adds to the magic of that sixth inning, the pitching coach had already come out to talk to Barrios. The Minnesota Twins manager, Rocco Baldelli, decides that he needs to come out and have a chat with Barrios. And that knocks Barrios out of the game. He didn't even realize what he was doing. The umpires didn't even realize at first. Hamilton knew right away. He was screaming it from the press box. And uh, finally, they realized this was the second trip to the mound. A second trip to the mound to visit a pitcher in one inning means you are out of the game. Anybody who's played a, uh, you know, a 
a a baseball video game knows this, right? You know that second time you come into the mound, it instantly takes you to the uh, bullpen screen, and you got to put in a replacement pitcher. And yeah, Barrios was out. How many pitches did he actually throw on the day? He threw 83 pitches. 83 pitches in five and two-thirds innings, and he's taken out of the game because the manager made a mistake. I mean, let's be honest. So uh, the Twins are able to get out of that sixth inning without any more damage. Now Josh Naylor grounds out, but uh, yeah, that that may change the course of the game here. That may, I, I doubt he's in until the eighth inning when uh, Jose Ramirez has to tie it again, but that may have changed the course of the game. I mean, it's the butterfly effect. You never know what's going to happen from that point forward. Uh, So, yeah, that is a big mental mistake from the Minnesota Twins. All right. The next storyline I wanted to talk about was specific at-bats. And uh, Plesak does give up the lead in uh, in the top of the eighth inning. Uh, Jake Cave singles to lead that thing off after a couple ground outs. He, someone must have gotten up to second base. And Luis arrives, drops a single into left field. The run comes in to score. So yeah, Plesak then walks Donaldson and his day is done. We bring in Brian Shaw. Yeah. I think Karinczak had pitched too many days in a row. I don't think we were going to see Karinczak last night. So Brian Shaw is able to get out of the inning. I know you would like to complain about Brian Shaw on Twitter, but I mean, let's be honest. He's been really effective so far this season. He has. Brian Shaw has been really, really effective. He got a strikeout on a changeup, which he's never thrown before. Um, or at least, a, you know, the Indians uh, the Indians uh, broadcast team definitely felt like they'd never seen a changeup from him before. So he's, he's been pitching good. I you, you can hate on Shaw all you want and hate on him for things he'd done in the past, which... He's pitched mostly good for the Cleveland Indians, and he's continuing that this season. And then Classe comes in and pitches the ninth. But I want to talk about a specific at-bat here for Jose Ramirez, and it's the matchup that he hits his big game-tying home run in the eighth inning off of. And, yeah, we were down, we were down to, I believe, four outs maybe left in the game. So we did not have a lot of time to come back and try to tie this thing up. He's facing uh, Tyler Duffy here. Tyler Duffy does not have overpowering stuff. His fastball sits at 92. But the plan from Tyler Duffy, and you could see it when you look at the pitch chart against Jose Ramirez, the plan was definitely to stay away. Stay away. I mean, he had nobody was on base, so if he walks him, no big deal there. And so he throws him a fastball away, way off the plate for ball one. Second fastball, way off the plate for ball two. Tries, maybe he'll swing at a curveball and be aggressive. Nope, way off the plate, ball three. It's now in a great hitter's count. Throws him a fastball on the outside edge, but for a strike, four strike one. 3-0, Ramirez was, it seemed like he was taking or he was looking for something specific. If that pitch wasn't in, he wasn't swinging at it. Or maybe if it wasn't up, he wasn't swinging at it. Throws him a sinker that should have been ball four. It got Jose Ramirez caught in the middle. Maybe he thought it was a slider that was going to come back towards the plate or something like that. He kind of takes a half swing at it. He's mad at himself because he knows it's ball four. And at this point, 
he knows that getting on base is really the most important thing here. I mean, he needs to get on base to give them a chance to score and tie this game. Maybe he's thinking about a game-tying home run, but I think on that pitch, on that fifth pitch, he's definitely thinking, that should have been my walk. I should be on base right now. So it's a full count, and then he decides, okay, I can't throw him a fastball. I've got him in a full count here. I'm going to throw him the knuckle curve. I don't know if he has a changeup, but his off-speed pitch is a knuckle curve. And the catcher sets up down and away. They want this thing away again. And instead, he lets it sit, I mean, right in the middle of the plate at the belt. You could not, if you were playing a video game, you could not throw a more perfect pitch, uh, a more perfect home run pitch than this knuckle curve right down the pipe. And Jose Ramirez absolutely does not disappoint 101.2 101.2 mile per hour exit velocity, 25 degree launch angle, and a 340 foot home run to the drink rails in the right field corner. And the place just goes crazy. The place is just electric. And uh, that's the kind of thing that Jose Ramirez can do with one swing of the bat. That's why he will. he's our perennial all-star player. That's why he's the star of the team right there. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was a fantastic home run and a great at-bat from Ramirez. Clearly, they were afraid to throw to Ramirez and they had good reason to because as soon as they put one in his swing zone, he destroyed it for a home run. So great at-bat there. And there's a storyline taking place inside an at-bat. All right, the next one I want to look at is Andres Jimenez in the ninth inning. This time he's facing, uh, he's still facing... Taylor Rogers. Uh, there's too many T names. They got rid of one, the twins. There's Tyler Duffy. Now there's Taylor Rogers. And I believe Josh Naylor was already on base in the ninth inning, if I'm correct. Yes, Naylor singled to start the inning. Roberto Perez strikes out swinging, and Andres Jimenez comes up. Now, they already shifted for Andres Jimenez. They already had three infielders, I believe, on the right side. And they had Donaldson hanging out in the shortstop position. So starts him off with a sinker. Uh, It's a high sinker at the top of the zone. I mean, he threw the sinker at 96 miles per hour. So let's be honest. That thing's working like a fastball. Throws it high, swings through it, strike one. Tries to throw him another one, throws it outside for a ball. Throws him a slider that's way off the plate, and he fouls it off. I don't know what he's doing trying to chase that slider way off the plate outside. So now he's down in the count. He's down one and two with two strikes on him. They move Donaldson from the shortstop position, from the the middle, from between third and short. They move him all the way over to shading the second base bag. They move him all the way up the middle, basically saying our scouts have told us, our data has told us that when Andres Jimenez gets down in the count, he is going to pull the ball. That's the only thing left for him to do is to try to pull the ball, which does not make a lot of sense for me. I would think that when you got to two strikes, that you would do whatever you could to put the bat on the ball, even if that means going to the opposite field. I would think that the defensive stats would tell you the opposite, that a guy is going to try to pull the ball early in the count when he's down in the count, then he might expand to use the whole field, 
because he's just trying to save the at-bat. Instead, they pull everybody off of the left field line. Uh, Arise in left field is, I don't know if he was still in left field at that point. I mean, they might have put in, they went through a whole bunch of defensive changes. No, so Lynn is probably in playing left field at that point. And they pulled him way off the line. Donaldson is literally standing, shading the second base bag like a nose tackle in football, shading an offensive lineman. And throws him another sinker way down in a way that he can lay off for ball two. 2-2 count, comes back with a 94-mile-per-hour sinker, his slowest sinker of the at-bat, right down the middle again, a little bit above the belt, but right down the middle. Jimenez is patient, stays back out of it, and hits a beautiful line drive down the left field line for a double. And I'm thinking to myself, you just gave him that. You just pulled. We talk about it all the time when guys face the shift. Look, if you could just go the opposite way, you have so much green grass. You have so much space on the infield to poke one through. If they were in their normal alignment, would Donaldson been able to jump up and catch it? I'm not sure. You know, I don't know what Donaldson's vertical is these days, but when they shift over like that and give you the whole side of the infield to swing at, it's just a beautiful approach from Andres Jimenez. And I feel like it was a managerial mistake by Baldelli to shift that hard when a guy is down in the count and he's battling for his life in the ninth inning. So great job by Jimenez. It doesn't turn into anything because the Indians cannot deliver after that. Ahmed Rosario, uh, reached on a fielder's choice because Josh Naylor came barreling home from third base on contact, a chopper right to Donaldson, and he, I mean, Naylor was out by a mile. Naylor keeps doing that, doesn't he? It feels like his his aggressiveness just gets the better of him and gets him into trouble. And then to end the inning, uh, Cesar Hernandez grounded into a force out. That's right, to the shortstop. So, the final at-bat we're going to talk about here is Jordan Luplo in the 10th inning. And uh, Colome throws him a fastball to start the at-bat pretty much right down the middle, slightly to the outside, but pretty much right down the middle at the belt, and he fouled it off. Comes back, throws him a cutter, which comes in a little slower. The fastball's at 93. The cutter's at 90.2. Throws him a cutter down and away, lays off it, comes back in the exact same location as the first pitch. It is the cutter versus the four-seam fastball. So there is about a four-mile-per-hour difference on this one, 93.5 to 89.6. But he gives him the exact same location that he showed him on the first pitch, that he fouled it off, that Jordan Luplo is looking for, and he delivers 103.2-mile-per-hour exit velocity, 34-degree launch angle, uh, Jose Ramirez, remember, was in the 20s on his launch angle. That was a line drive to the seats and right. This was a shot. This was a high arcing home run. 399 feet, 1,000 expected batting average, you know, 1.0 expected batting average, and delivers the game-winning two-run home run in the first batter, the first batter of the 10th inning. And it's not like Kalame doesn't love pitching in progressive field. I mean, it's hard to judge off of one batter. But to be honest, his against the Cleveland Indians, he has actually been pretty dominant. 
In 18 games against us, he's got eight saves, a 185 ERA, a whip of 0.706. It's even better when he's pitching in progressive field. His ERA is 0.87 in 10 games in progressive field, and his whip is 0.677. That's a really low whip and a really low ERA when facing the Indians in progressive field, but not last night. Not last night. When it comes to, that's the one thing about a reliever, right? You could throw all the advanced stats out the window because when it's extra innings or when it's the ninth inning and you're facing a team as the closer, one pitch, one pitch makes a difference. You can throw all the advanced stats out the window because that one pitch versus that one hitter, there's there's no track record for that. There's nothing you can lean on for that. You've got to beat them with that one pitch and Luplo beat them with that one pitch last night. Beautiful to see. The Magic is back at Progressive Field. It's the first walk-off of the season. Uh, Austin Hedges nails him with the shaving cream towel during his post-game interview with MLB Network, which that's fun to see. You know, you, That's one of the things that brings a personality out in a team, right? How do they celebrate their walk-offs? Is it the Gatorade showers? Is it you know, the Gatorade bucket? Is it the shaving cream towel? How do you celebrate those walk-offs? What are you going to do? And Austin Hedges uh, has now set the tone uh, for how we celebrate walk-offs. So Andre Knott better be looking over his shoulder. Well, he's not on the field anymore. Andre Knott's not on the field anymore for these. Andre Knott used to get nailed in these celebrations. But the players better be looking over their shoulder if they hit a walk-off because Austin Hedges is lurking with a shaving cream towel. All right, we got to talk about Plesak really quickly, and then we'll get out of here because Plesak... Uh, it's been an up-and-down season. Remember, he loses that first game in Detroit, but he doesn't pitch bad. Six innings, only two runs given up in that first start. He's not striking out a ton of guys, but he's also not walking a ton of guys. He walked two in that first start, did not walk a batter in the next three starts, walked one last night, and uh, only four strikeouts. He threw six strikeouts in that dominant performance, his second start against Detroit. And then uh, no strikeouts, obviously, in that very bad one-inning start against uh, the White Sox. Less, two-thirds of an inning start where he gave up six runs on seven hits. Four strikeouts in his last start against the White Sox, which went went better. He went five innings, still gave up six runs. Last night, only four strikeouts again. So he's not really dominating with the strikeouts, but last night was much, much better. Seven and two-thirds, three earned runs on only five hits. Wasn't hard hit a ton. Um, Berrios was definitely hard hit a little more. The Twins pitching was hard hit a little more than the Indians pitching was last night. Uh, the Twins gave up 12 hard hit, considered hard hit balls, 95 plus mile per hour exit velocity. The Indians only gave up eight. So a little bit better from the Indians pitching staff. So what was different about Plesak last night? Um the walk and the strikeout rates don't really matter because he doesn't walk anybody, and the strikeouts have been about the same. The batting average was way down, uh, which is great to see. It was a 179 batting average off him for the Twins last night. The bat bip was way down. Batting average balls in play. So when they were putting the ball in the play, because they put plenty of balls in play against him, they were going to defenders. So <laughs> the, the terrible start against the White Sox, he was at a 750 I mean, that shows you how bad he got hit around. The last start against the White Sox, which eventually led to them scoring a lot of runs, it was a 313 bat bit. 
Last night, he was down to 174. So back down to a really, really manageable, good bat bip. Um, let's take a look at the pitch type. What was he throwing last night? Was he throwing anything different? His fastball velocity was a little higher. I can tell you that. He had, the max he had thrown was 92.5 on his fastball velocity. Last night, he was averaging 94.1. So that is good to see. Let's see. Was that the average or was that the max? Uh, it looks like that was, yeah, the average, uh, 94. Yeah, they got that on uh, Baseball Savant 2. I'm over at uh, Fan Graphs looking at this game log here. That's why I'm comparing all these. The pitch mix wasn't much different, though. Uh, he had started the season throwing 46%, 45% fastball. He's down in the 30s his last two starts. That was only 31% fastballs. Threw more sliders, 35% sliders. So he's definitely leaning on the slider a little bit more. Changeup is about the same, around 20%. Curveball is a tick higher. He was at 11%. To start the season, he was only at 8.5%. So a few more curveballs mixed in there. In fact, everything was a little harder last night. The curveball was a mile per hour faster. The slider was a mile per hour faster. Even the changeup was a mile per hour faster. So maybe he did something different mechanically to get a little more uh, velocity there. And then the plate discipline numbers are usually where you'll see a difference here. Um, Outside the zone swinging, about the same that it's been. Uh, I guess he's probably averaging around 30%. uh, on the season, the inside the zone swinging was down, uh, down at 66% as opposed to the White Sox, who are at 70, 77 and 78% swinging in the zone. The swing percentage overall against him was down a 50%. That's about where he averages. The one stat here that really stands out um, is the first pitch strike. That great start against Detroit, his second start, he was at 87% first pitch strike. Against the White Sox, it was 44% and then 59%. Last night, he was back to 79.3% first pitch strike. So there you go. Of all the stats here in the plate discipline numbers, that's the one that stands out to me. That's the one that stands out as the difference between what had been happening against the White Sox and what he was able to do against the Twins. So... It's a great final line from Plesak, especially from where he's come, right? It might not be back great compared to Shane Bieber, but compared to where he's come from, it's a great line for Plesak. Seven and two-thirds, five hits, three earned runs, one walk, four strikeouts, a solo home run given up, 93 pitches. Pretty, pretty good from Zach Plesak, getting back to being a starter we can count on. All right, MVP for the day. Well, you know who it is. Come on. You hit a walk-off home run in the 10th inning. You get a shaving cream pie in the post-game interview. You also get MVP for the day. Jordan Luplo, it was his only hit on the day. Didn't strike out at all, but it was his only hit on the day. In the 10th inning, two-run home run to win the game. There you go, Jordan. MVP for the day. Add it to all the great accolades from last night. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. We'll be back to cover the matchup between the Twins and Indians again tomorrow. It is Savali against Maeda. Maeda, who was dominant last year, I believe has been struggling to start the season. I mean, based on a 6-11 ERA to start the season, I'd say he's struggling a little bit. So let's see if the Indians' offense can continue to roll 
You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Morning.